God has called his people to follow him, to repent of sin and to trust in him, to see him as who he is. He is the God of all things. He is the God to be worshiped and adored. He is the God who holds the keys to life and death, to good and evil, to heaven and hell. He is the one who sees all things. He knows all things. And he determines the conclusion of all things. Why? Because he has set up all things. He has created all things. He holds your life at every moment. And God wants you to know him. And God wants your children to know him. Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. My voice is a little hoarse this morning, so bear with me. We will be in Genesis 24, but first let's open in prayer. Wonderful Holy God, our God and our Father, God from generations past, God to generations future, you are never changing. You are always the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you are always good, the God of covenants, and of the everlasting covenant. Teach us, O oh God, to be faithful. Teach us to see you as the greatest treasure on earth, that there is no greater treasure than you alone. And that is true for each one of us. And that is true for our children. And in this great truth, in the truth of John 14, 6, may we abide. May it become the passion in our life. And may we never be the same. And may we never trade it for something else to be called truth. For you alone are truth. And may we teach our children the truth. So that their greatest passion and their greatest treasure also would be you. We pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Spoke briefly on this before. Abraham's relationship with the Lord 
was one of development. It was one of maturing. It was not the same at the end as it was at the beginning, and rightly so. And with any good and growing and deepening and maturing relationship, that is also the case. God had called Abraham out from obscurity, if you will, out from a pagan land and a pagan people and into a relationship with him. Genesis 12, he calls him out, calls him to something, out from Ur and to the land that God will show him. Then he makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. Abraham and Sarah long for a child. They long for a child. And they long for a child. And God says, you will have descendants. Many, 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 many descendants. And he comes to Sarah and he says, that nations of the earth will come from her. But they had to wait. And in this waiting was also a growing a growing dependence on the Lord, a growing in, a, in the testing of their faith, because in the waiting, there is testing. Do you really trust? Do you really trust the Lord? Patience is a lifelong lesson, and we wish that it weren't at times. And God says, patience is a lifelong lesson. Because I am building in you trust in me. Regardless of what I say, knowing that I have your best at heart, will you trust me? And then, after this child is born, Abraham is called by God to sacrifice this child. And we see how he responds. God develops in with Abraham maturity. And we all make choices in our life. And when you give your life unto the hands of the Lord, when you say, God, yes, through your Holy Spirit, I want to be sanctified. I want to be made new. I don't want the same desires as that which I had before. I don't want fleshly desires. I don't want selfish desires. I want the desires of God in me. That I want to be changed by God. I don't want to operate in the same way that my friends operate in worldly ways or my coworkers or whoever it is. I don't want to be changed by the world around me. I want to be changed by the Lord. Then your relationship matures. Then your relationship with the Lord becomes rich because you trust God with your life with your thoughts, with your money, with your actions, with your family, with the future. This world worries about the future. This world worries about money. This world worries about their family. God says for his people, I've taken care of all that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you, i.e., God's going to take care of you. But the most important thing is that you seek first Him. Seek first God and the kingdom. 
God is building his kingdom. Will we participate it? He is seeking for people who will seek and trust in him. God is calling us to maturity in our relationship also with him. So what do you love most in your life here on this earth? Would you gladly sacrifice it to God if he asked you to? Because he is asking you to sacrifice it to him in your heart at the very least. God will not share his throne in your life. And he's not going to share his throne in anybody else's life. So what are you holding back from him? Well, the mark of maturity on that scale, on the weights on the scales in your life, the mark of maturity is laying down every single part of your life to him. And it is your immaturity which keeps you from surrendering everything to him. Yes, there is a great juxtaposition in this in the eyes of the world. What does Jesus say in Matthew 16, 25? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The world teaches us that in selfishness, that we have to be selfish, we have to go after the end, we have to take care of ourselves. So we must reach out so that we can get, whether they call it selfish or don't use that term exactly, this is the mentality that we are taught from a very young age here on earth. And God says, I want you to give your rights to all of that up and surrender to me. And therein lies the juxtaposition. We have to put to death the mentality of this world in our mind and in our heart as we approach the Lord. For the man who sold everything that he had for that treasure in the field. Abraham's desire became, his all-consuming desire became that to glorify God. Let's look back at Genesis 22. If you have your Bibles, join me. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So how did he respond? Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then in verse five, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. There was a faith building in Abraham, even that what God had called him to do, somehow God was going to provide. There was mystery God was going to provide. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself 
the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You see this language twice here. So they went, both of them, together in verse 6. So they went, both of them, together in verse 8. Two men, father, son, both in faith of what God was going to do. And they didn't even know what God specifically was going to do. But they trusted God. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He was going to do everything that God had called him to do. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Skip down to verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Genesis 22. Abraham knew that God had called him. All the way back from Genesis 12, he knew that God had called him. He knew that God had provided for him. Abraham knew that Isaac was only born because Sarah had been barren. She was unable to give birth, to get pregnant and to give birth. He was only born specifically because God had prophesied that Isaac would be born. God had come to Abraham, God had come to Sarah, and had told them this was going to happen. And then God enabled Sarah to have him, to carry him, and to give birth to Isaac. Abraham knew Isaac was the child of God's promise. That God had been promising this child was to come. That God had been promising this child was to come. And then at about this time next year, God says, I will return and I will tell you, and then it will be the time. And then God returns and he tells him, and it is the time and the child is born. And Abraham knew that if God asked him to sacrifice Isaac to God, there was something incredibly important in how Abraham would respond. And Abraham wanted to be faithful to God, even in the mystery even in the mystery. Abraham knew his faithfulness to God was on display in every action that he took here, including with regard to Isaac. And he loved God. So he obeyed God. He was faithful to God. This is where their relationship was at. And it was one of passion and it was one of intensity. God meant more to Abraham than anything or anyone else. 
And God is the one who calls. And God is the only one who calls. And God is the one who provides. And God is the only one who provides, for in him are all things. And by him have all things been made. And nothing has been made without him that has been made. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God does that for us too. And this is part of the unending covenant that God has with his people. He is the one who goes before us. He is the one who comes behind us like the pillar of fire and smoke in Exodus. He is the one who charts the course. He is the one who enables us to have bread and to have water every single day of our life. And then because he is the author and the creator and the sustainer and the one who knows the number of our days, at the end of our life, we pass from this earth to the next because God is fully in control and because God is our provider in that also. The one who knew you in your mother's womb. The one who knows every single hair on top of your head and the number of them will never leave you or forsake you. But he will carry you always and he will always take care of you. Abraham's love for God compels him now in today's text to seek godliness for Isaac. Let's look at Genesis 24. Verse 1, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham not only doesn't want Isaac to marry a Canaanite, it's not just a wish in his mind. This is very dynamic. This is very intentional. He insists that Isaac not marry a Canaanite. The Canaanites were not a believing people in the Lord God. And Abraham wanted Isaac to be joined with someone from their family, from the line of faith, and who also had the same values. See, this is something else to think about when you're joining together in marriage. Why are the same values important, let alone faith? But really, those are one and the same. They guide your big decisions as well as the little ones. All the little decisions that you make every single day. For example, who do you see as the ultimate authority in decision-making? Is it the husband in the household? Is it the wife in the household? Or does it flip every other so there's a 50-50 split as who gets to be the ultimate authority? Or do both the husband and the wife see God instead as the ultimate authority and therefore, whenever there is a big decision or even a little decision or even in the place of daily devotion, whom they are both seeking with their lives, 
Both of them seek the Lord. It matters where your value system is at, how you have your values prioritized, where you have the measure of your heart in faith. Whether your Lord and King is Jesus Christ, or it's yourself, or it's Islam, or it's the Catholic Church, but it's not Jesus Christ, or it's Buddhism, or it's the practice of panentheism. It matters who you worship, and it matters of the person that you marry whom they worship. And it may be that the one you marry does not come from a family of faith or biblical values. In that point, while it's not critical, it does matter that the person that you marry believes in Christ and has biblical values, or there honestly is not going to be a match. Also, you both need to recognize that if one of you two or both of your families are not of the Christian faith, that that also is going to present challenges in your marriage, or to your marriage at the least. Because when your unbelieving family presents something to you which is ungodly, you will have to choose God over your family or over that decision, whatever it is. When your unbelieving family challenges your faith in God, then you will have to choose God over your family. And it is the recognition of this which is important so that you will know what to expect. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Jesus has to be on the throne. And Abraham's faith in God was maturing and was maturing and was maturing to the point where Sarah was not on the throne. Even Isaac was not on the throne. God alone was on the throne. And this swelled in his life where his relationship with God meant more to him than anything else, anyone else. And this is God's desire for us, for his children. This is God's desire in the heart of Abraham and in the heart of Sarah, and in the heart of Isaac, and in the heart of Isaac's descendants also, that no one would mean more to them than God alone. And the measure of your love for God, the intensity of your love for God, the passion, depth of your love for God will drive your life. It will drive your lifestyle, what you spend your time on, what you spend your time thinking about, what you spend your money on, and it will drive your family line. God's word speaks over and over again about how the patterns of the father, whether the obedience of the father or the sins of the father carry on to the next generations, whether the obedience carries to the next generations or the sins of the father carry to the next generations, because parents have a direct impact on their children. If you had God-fearing parents, you were taught to have a holy fear of God. And conversely, if you had unbelieving parents, you were not taught to do so. 
because parents and the family circuit have that close of a relationship. Children look to their parents all the time when they're little. They're looking to them as the example. They're looking to them to learn from them. What are the parents teaching? How are the parents modeling? What are the parents doing? What are the parents speaking? This carries into the next generation, even at the least subconsciously. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. As adults, we trust our children to the Lord because no parent can save their child, but you can put them in the most fruitful environment spiritually by teaching them the love of God, by teaching them the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ, by teaching them his death and his sacrifice on their behalf to save them, that he took their place before the Father, that he took their sin on his shoulders before the Father to exchange his righteousness unto them on their behalf if they would just believe. And this is the mission set before us as adults and as parents. So that we are exemplifying, first of all, that we are growing in our relationship with Christ. It is a two-pronged benefit, folks. It's not just for ourselves. If that were not enough, and it should be. The more you are satisfied in the Lord, the more joy you will have in your life. God is longing that you find your complete fulfillment and joy in him that you take no greater value in anything or anyone else on this earth except in him. And in that, you will find that which you will treasure for all time and outside of time and eternity. In this life and in the next, the treasure is the Lord. And his love is never ending and he never fails and he's always faithful and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's so good, and he always looks out for his children. Oh, to be enraptured in a love like that. And this is what we desire for our children, and when we model this type of relationship and this type of love for God, our children see it. And as we read God's word to them, we are conveying to them this same God, this same love, this same gospel. And God wants people everywhere to repent of their sin and to worship him. Abraham knows this because he is in relationship with God, because he has matured in his relationship with God. And he knows there's nothing more important on earth for Isaac than that Isaac also knows God and worships him as God. And to provide for him, Abraham knows that if Isaac is to be married, that he marries someone who also believes in God, believes in God as God, as king, as the ultimate authority, and as his savior, the only one that he would ever need. 
So as Abraham had already modeled for Isaac, faith, faith in God, that it's a personal relationship with God, that it's trusting in God, that you have this relationship, so too God's covenant. Now, he stresses the importance of who Isaac would be joined with in his marriage. He knows that who you marry will either encourage you toward God, or if you marry someone not of the faith, that it is going to encourage you and bring you away from God. We see this over and over again in the Old Testament, that those who marry someone of the faith have a fruitful marriage and a fruitful union, spiritually and in so many other ways. But when you marry someone of a pagan faith, which is really no faith, that it wars at your heart away from God. It seeks to pull you away from God. And that's why no Christian should seek to be unequally yoked, as the Bible describes it. And parents can have a role even in their adult children's singleness approaching marriage as a loving parent, as a loving Christian parent, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, speaking words of wisdom into your children's lives, encouraging them to only pursue someone who has completely surrendered their life to Christ. Because when two Christians are joined together, now they are of one mindset. This is the goal at the very least. But for two Christians who profess Christ at the center, therefore, they both kneel before Christ. In decisions and when in conflict, they are seeking Christ to lead. In a disunified marriage, you have one Christian with someone either of another faith or of no faith. Now, who do they turn to? One person is looking to Christ. The other person is looking either to themselves or to the leader of their false religion, their other religion. And there is no unity. There is no one mindset. There is no same mindset. So how would they proceed? Well, there would be no union. There would be no unified decision. Because Christ is seeking to make Christ glorified. And someone of the world is not going to seek to make Christ glorified. The person who is seeking Christ is doing so from a position of humble leadership, or at least humility at the least. And the person seeking their own decision, themselves as the ultimate authority, is not going to do so from a position of humility. And God is calling us to humble ourselves and to worship Him. So, to the singles or those who are engaged and are not yet married, if your king is Christ, then make your God and king evermore your Lord and your Savior. Seek him with a relentless passion that he embodies every part of your life, every area. Surrender everything to him and only seek a marriage to be joined together with someone for the rest of your life here on earth who has done the same. Abraham's desire for Isaac is this. And this is God's desire for us, for those who are single to only seek godliness in our marriages. Because in our marriages, just like in our singleness, God will be glorified. 
Let's pray. God of all creation, and to the God of Abraham, Isaac, the one who established an everlasting covenant with your people. May we hold fast to your word, O God. May we hold fast to you, O God. May we seek not to dwell in the shallows of faith, but to plunge deeply into faith with you. In those areas of our lives that we have held back, in those areas of our lives which we have not yet surrendered to you, let us in a full dive of faith not hold back any longer. May we surrender all to you as you are calling us to do in a blind trust that you are who you are, that you have our best at heart, and we can trust you always, even when we can't fully see it clearly, because we know that you are good. Pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 24.